We're launching into a brand new series in the Gospel of Luke today. And of the four Gospels, Luke is by far the longest. Uh, Luke is a physician, very detailed in his description of events. But Luke is the only gospel organized chronologically with no effort to tamper, and I say tamper carefully, but to, to move around details so that a certain narrative comes across. So John, John is poetic. John doesn't start with Jesus was born here and then this happened and this happened and this happened. John is like, in the beginning was the word. I'm going to rewrite Genesis 1 and come up with something just beautiful by the spirit of God. It's amazing. It's poetic. It's got details that are out of order so that certain things hit you a certain way. And, that, and that's beautiful and all true. And, and Matthew and Mark are kind of uh, sibling gospels. I was told in seminary that Matthew is Mark on steroids. Like Mark is in a hurry to get his narrative out to a more Roman audience that's coming to believe. And Matthew kind of takes Mark and expounds on a lot of it and puts in a lot of detail. But Luke says at the beginning of his gospel, I'm writing an orderly account of the things that have transpired so that you will know the truth of what you have come to believe. So he's going, I'm writing this in order and I'm just giving you the details. I'm not trying to move stories around like, well, this is actually going to be placed here. And this, this is just Luke going, here's what happened and you have to deal with it. And that's why the subtitle of this series is going to be called The Invitation of Jesus. Because as we look at different stories from the life of Jesus, the thread we're going to be looking at them through is that Jesus is inviting us into a brand new way of life, a brand new story that if we have eyes to see and ears to hear what he's offering, it will change our lives forever. Now, some things I got to get out front. We're not going to cover all of the gospel of Luke in order. In fact, we're going to get to the beginning of Luke at the end of this series, because this series is going to end at Christmas time, where Luke has the most famous of all the Christmas accounts. We're actually going to be preaching on Luke 1 and 2 come December. So I think that's, that's, it'll get there. Trust me. What we're going to do is look at some of the most famous stories from the life of Jesus through the lens of this question, what kind of a life is Jesus inviting me, inviting us into, and what kind of lies have I come to believe about his invitation that are causing me to turn it down? You know, if we could see in reality what Jesus is offering us when he invites us to follow him, every single lie would be obliterated by the value and worth that's in what Jesus has come to offer. The problem is we don't see it clearly and we don't hear it correctly. The problem is marred by sin, Jesus will always look less attractive than these cheap pleasures of sin that compete for our attention and our affection. So what we're doing as we're opening the word of God, we're going, God, let us see these stories from the life of Jesus with fresh eyes, with ears that can actually hear and transform over time based on what is written in the word of God. I believe God wants to speak so powerfully through this series, and I don't believe it's going to be based on how well I execute what I've prepared. I have asked, our team has asked, our prayer team has come together and gone before the Lord. We are asking God for the miracle of his spirit, breathing on the preached, revealed word of God. Did you bring your Bible to church this morning? If you have your Bible, all of our locations, hold it up, hold it up. Hold it up high. Hold it up high. 8 a.m. This is okay. There's more stragglers. Higher, higher. Okay, okay. We didn't get our Bibles on the way out. My wife, three kids here, 8 a.m. Got her Bible in the air on the front row. I love it. Keep it up if you're single. Keep it up. I got DMs about, hey, make sure you still do that moment. We're at the 8 a.m. We need to. Okay. Turn with me to Luke chapter 8. 
Luke chapter 8. Of course we're in chapter 8 after new beginnings, guys. 8 is the number of new beginnings and coming off of last week, I couldn't believe that this is where we already have planned to be reading from the scriptures. We're going to read something called the parable of the sower. It's probably better titled the parable of the soils. You'll see why in just one second. But anytime we're studying a text from the word of God as best we can, we need to know who wrote it and why they wrote it. If you're going to get the context of what is written, if you can know it and if you can research it and take the time, you have more resources than any generation in the history of the world, look up who wrote a particular text and why they wrote it. And I'll just give you this one. This is straight from my gospels class from Professor uh, Dr. Bruce Lowe, who y'all have heard from before. This is his sort of one-liner summary of Luke along with Acts. And I want to get this out there since we're going to be doing Acts next semester. Here it is. Luke is written along with Acts to reveal the continued redemption story from Old Testament to New Testament. You can write that down. And I always, I always write those one-liner summaries on the front page of the book of the Bible that I'm in. So in mine, it'll say, written along with Acts to reveal the continued redemption story from Old Testament to New Testament. Now, at this point, there was no such thing as the Old Testament. It was just the word of God, the law, and the prophets. But what you're going to see in Luke and in Acts is illusion after illusion after illusion to the people of God, Israel, the Jewish nation that God has chosen in Abraham. And all through these stories about Jesus and all through the early church spreading, you're going to see Luke reaching back to include details from the Old Testament to go, this is not a new story that came along when Jesus was born in Bethlehem. This is the culmination of the whole story God has been writing from the beginning. God's story of redemption from creation all the way to the cross has not been sidelined or paused or sidetracked. This has been the sovereign plan of the God of the universe the entire time. And over and over again, you're going to see Luke reaching back, reaching back, going, hey, remember this from the tabernacle. Remember this. Remember this. Because it is one story. And as best we can, we're going to read those details. But today, we're going to read a parable that illustrates one of the most scary prophecies from the Old Testament about God blinding the eyes and deafening the ears of unbelievers. And when you read this parable, I have asked God again and again, help me to articulate what you are saying in real time and speak it to our church right here and right now in 2022. Luke chapter 8, verse 4. Verse 4, start in verse 4. If you're there, say I'm there. While a large crowd was gathering and people were coming to Jesus from town after town. If you just want to take a second, mark that in your mind. If you're a writer like I am, maybe circle that with your pen. I got some ugly writing in my Bibles. You, you want to take time to go, hold on, hold on. What's the context of Jesus saying what he's about to say? Large crowd, popularity. Pay close attention in the scriptures to what Jesus does when he starts gaining a huge following because it's pretty much always backward of what you and I would do. It's always to weed out the fakers, It's always circling things back around to go, hold on, hold on, hold on. Are you sure you know what I'm talking about? Are you sure you understand? He's gaining popularity. Why? Because he's done miracles. He's illustrating that he has the power of the Holy Spirit on his life. So at this point, huge crowd, big following. A lot of people want to hear from him. So here's what he does. He told this parable. That's a short story that illustrates a reality about the kingdom of God. Here it is. A farmer went out to sow his seed. As he was scattering the seed, some fell along the path. It was trampled on, and the birds ate it up. Some fell on rocky ground, 
And when it came up, the plants withered because they had no moisture. Other seed fell among thorns, which grew up with it and choked the plants. Still other seed fell on good soil. It came up and yielded a crop a hundred times more than what was sown. When he said this, he called out, whoever has ears to hear, let them hear. Now, y'all, just please try to imagine this in context. The Son of God is illustrating realities from the kingdom of God. And instead of explicitly laying out his message, he tells a story. A story that would make a lot more sense 2,000 years ago in an agrarian society where farming was more common. We don't have a lot of farmers in the room. We have one that I'm aware of, Greg Young, whose farm is right over there. And, and he probably knows way more than we all know about what I'm about to say, but I'm going to go into it and try to make this make sense. Every time I preach about a farming illustration from the scriptures, I feel so inadequate because I have no idea what I'm talking about. But Jesus says, farmer went out to sow a seed and it landed in different places. Some landed here on the path snatched up by birds. Some landed on the rocks and they started to sprout up, but they had no root or moisture. And some landed among thorns. They started growing, but they got choked out by the thorns. And some landed on good soil and produced a fruit. Whoever has ears, let them hear. Don't read into the story. Can you imagine how frustrating it would be to be listening to Jesus? Crowds growing, growing, popularity gaining, gaining. And Jesus tells a farming story that makes no sense to anyone. And he's like, yeah, this farmer threw up seed and it grew differently based on where it landed. Whoever has ears, let him hear. Like, don't keep reading. Just stop for a second and go, man, this guy would have been frustrating to follow around. And that's exactly why, verse 9, his disciples asked him what the parable meant. Of course they did. And he said, the knowledge of the secrets of the kingdom of God has been given to you. But to others I speak in parables, so that though seeing, they may not see. Though hearing, they may not understand. Jesus says, I'm about to explain it to you because you're getting backstage access to the secrets of the kingdom of God. But you want to know why I'm talking in parables? I'm talking in parables to fulfill what was said in Isaiah chapter 6, where it says, they will be ever seeing but not see, ever hearing but not understanding. You guys know that famous passage about Isaiah where he says, here am I, send me. Everybody's favorite passage about being sent out on mission you know, right after that, God tells Isaiah what his message is going to be, and it's not positive. It's like, yeah, you're going to preach, and no one's going to listen to you. How would you like to get sent out like Isaiah and Jeremiah into an environment where it's like, oh, you're not going to really see any fruit. In fact, the fruit will be that the people don't listen to you. And Jesus says, the reason why I'm telling parables is so that they hear what I say, but they don't discern what's being said. Jesus' preaching is not just an announcement of forgiveness of sins. It is also a pronouncement of judgment, particularly on the people of Israel. And Jesus is going, I'm, it's confusing to them because their hearts have been hardened for generation after generation after generation. And it's hard to listen to Jesus say things like this. But you need to understand the invitation of Jesus happens within the context of a story that's been being written before he was born on earth, is now coming to its full fruition, and Jesus is illustrating in real time right now the people who were chosen by God cannot discern and understand the mysteries that are being revealed right in front of their eyes. But you can because I'm going to explain it to you. Now, here you are, 2022, most of you Gentile Christians when we read what we are about to read, do you understand that Jesus has also invited you, 
backstage to hear the explanation? Like, as you read this, there should be a part of you going, whoa, I'm reading it. I have the next part in red letters. I'm getting the access that the disciples had. We can't just open our Bibles, listen to what Jesus said, and go, that's awesome, I have that invitation. Do you understand how blessed you are to sit where you sit? Not because you're listening to me, but because you're reading these words, and he's going, I chose to reveal this to you. And I didn't choose to reveal it to everybody the same way. Now, we can grapple theologically with how that plays itself out over time, but what that's supposed to produce in you is not to go, oh, God does things differently than I do. I have a problem with that. It's supposed to make you humble and in a position to receive exactly what you're supposed to receive. Oh, my goodness. I get to read this. You get to read what Jesus is about to say right now. He's going to explain it. Let's do it. Verse 11. This is the meaning of the parable. The seed is the word of God. Those along the path are the ones who hear And then the devil comes and takes away the word from their hearts so that they may not believe and be saved. Those on the rocky ground are the ones who receive the word with joy when they hear it, but they have no root. They believe for a while, but in the time of testing, they fall away. The seed that fell among thorns stands for those who hear, but as they go on their way, they are choked by life's worries, riches, and pleasures, and they do not mature. But the seed on good soil stands for those who with with a noble and good heart who hear the word, retain it, and by persevering, produce a crop. Did you know, in this moment of the scriptures, Jesus chooses a parable about farming to illustrate every individual who has ever attended a church service where the gospel is preached. Everybody look up here, all of our locations, do not miss this. Did you know, in Jesus' life, he described this very moment that we are in, in explicit detail, and said, no matter what, no matter where, no matter how, when the word of God goes out, there are four people receiving it. The common ground of all four soils was what? They hear, they hear, they hear, they hear. They all hear the word of God. The reason why we're starting our study of Luke with this word is I want what we're hearing from this parable to be fleshed out all series long. Because every time we open the scriptures and we hear the invitation of Jesus, Jesus has said in his own ministry, there are four types of people out there and you're one of the four. At Huntsville, in Birmingham, in Lake Martin, right now, right now, there are four people around you. I wanna make this really awkward. Look around you right now. Just look around, it's okay. Oh, y'all are so awkward. This is so great. Y'all, you could not be more awkward right now or disobedient because you're like, I'm not, I'm not going to do it. No. Okay. That's fine. There are four types of people around you, four types of responses to the gospel being preached. And I believe in one lifetime, you can have multiple different responses at different times, depending on what's going on in your life. But Jesus is going, no matter what, in this moment where the word of God is going out like seed There are four soils in response. Let's talk about each one. The first one is called the path. Some fall along the path. And when Jesus describes the seed that falls on the path, he says it is snatched up by the enemy. Wants to grow, but doesn't have time to. That is the person within the sound of my voice right now who hears what I'm saying audibly, but it stops there. There's a guy talking on stage 
but it's almost just noise to you. You're checked out. You're thinking about where you're going to go after. You're thinking about what you got to do this week. You're distracted, or maybe you don't care. Maybe somebody dragged you here. Maybe you're like, I can't believe this many people gather this early in the morning in Auburn, Alabama to hear from the word of God, but I'm just not interested. And before the word of God can produce or grow anything in your life, it is snatched away and you don't even realize it, but it is the enemy of your soul who snatched it away, not just your propensity to be distracted. Second one. Seed that fell on rocky ground. The rocky ground is, is one where you hear the word. It seems like it's growing, but there's no root. There's no moisture. Have you ever seen like grass growing in your driveway or on the street? And it's like, man, it is trying so hard to spring up, but there is no good soil beneath it to sustain the growth that wants to happen. Jesus says these people are exposed by testing or trials. That's the person who hears the word, applies it to their life, wants to follow Jesus, but then when life falls apart, when the breakup happens, when the bank account is empty, when you don't get into the school, suffering, persecution even, we see that less in our country, but others all over the world, the suffering that comes from living in a fallen world overrules the effect of the word of God on your life and you choose to walk away. That's the seed that falls on rocky ground. And then the seed that falls among thorns. This is the vast majority of our locations and the vast majority of this room. You hear the word, you receive it with joy, it starts growing, but you don't realize that you're growing among things that are competing for your future and competing for your communion with God. What are the thorns? The worries of this life, the pleasures of this world, the passions of the flesh. And over time, what happens is even though you want Jesus, you want sin more. You want your stuff more. And the riches of this world, pleasures that compete, they start to choke out what God had planted in your life. That's a lot of us. And then the fourth is good soil. The key to being on good soil is a good and noble heart. I'm open to the word and I want it to impact my life. Now, everybody look up here, don't miss this. How I've taught or how I've heard this taught in my life and how typically, if you've been in church for any amount of time, you've heard the parable of the sower, you've heard this shows God's sovereignty over what happens regardless of who the preacher is, how good the band is, or what's happening from the front. And that's a correct interpretation. I've heard people tell me, no matter how hard you preach, there's four results out there and three of them aren't good. You can give it all you got. At the end of the day, you're responsible for spreading the seed, not defining the soil. Like you're responsible, just throw it out there on Sundays, make it known, make it clear, make it plain, and then leave it up to God to bring the growth. And some of that's true. Paul talks about that in 1 Corinthians chapter 3. He's like, I planted, Apollos watered, but God made it grow. God is the one who opens eyes. God is the one who produces fruit. And I have been surprised over time by how faithful God is to keep that promise. On two different ends, here's what I mean by that. Looks can be deceiving. Some of the people who I have been most sure are going to persevere in their faith fall off because of things I never would have thought knocked them off. You know, we've had baptism services, and you can, if you're, if you're here at this location, you can see them in the lobby of all of our different baptisms on different years, which our creative team did an amazing job with the lobby. If you had to rush in here and get to church on time, make sure you go see that on the way out. But hurry up and get to your car because we've got another service coming. Um, it's like, which one do you want me to do? All of them. Holy Spirit will make it happen. But at, all, at our baptism gatherings, I'll hear someone's story and be about to baptize them and be like, I am, I am so sure about her. I am so sure about him. They they get it. 
they, oh man, I cannot wait to see what God's going to do. And then you find out a year, two years down the road, they've completely abandoned their faith, completely gone the way of the world. Maybe they got sucked into a cultural narrative about politics. Maybe they deconstructed their faith entirely. Maybe they just ended up in the wrong relationship. And, and you go, wow, I was so sure that you were going to make it. And then on the opposite end, we've had baptism services where I'm like, and I've even told our team, I'm not sure about him. Like, I, I, don't, I, I know he's saying the right things, but I just, I don't think. And then over time, those individuals end up producing more fruit than their entire group on stage combined. And I'm going, Lord, looks can be deceiving. Like sometimes who you're sure is getting it, who you're sure is applying it to their life, it sometimes doesn't work out over time. But I've found comfort in this parable knowing at the end of the day, the soil is going to produce things one way or the other. And that's not my responsibility. That's not your responsibility to manage what happens for other people. But this is what I've been so excited to tell you all week. I was reading this parable and feeling like this is where we're supposed to start this sermon series. And I noticed that this is actually not one of the moments where Jesus spits something out as a fact and leaves us to deal with it. He will do that at other times. Remember the end of the Sermon on the Mount when Jesus said, hey, if you take these words of mine and apply it to your life, you're like a wise man who built his house on rock when the storms came, blew against that house. It did not fall because it had its foundation on the rock. But if you take these words of mine, if you hear these words of mine and you don't apply it to your life, you're like a fool who built his house on sand when the storms came and the winds blew against that house, it fell with a great crash. Y'all know that's the end of the greatest sermon ever preached. No three points, no closing questions, fact stated, he walks away. And if you were here last fall, you know when we ended the Sermon on the Mount, that's what I did. I was like, I'm, I literally walked off stage and was like, you gotta make a decision because that's what Jesus said. Sometimes when Jesus preaches, he states things as reality and chooses to let us deal with it and make decisions based on what we're hearing. And it seems like that's exactly what Jesus is doing in the parable of the soils or the parable of the sower. But if you read this, and I'm telling you, I'm so excited. I'm praying eyes are going to be open, ears are going to be open. you got to see what's in the word of God. That's actually not what this story is. Because Jesus is not finished. Your Bible in English is finished, but Jesus is not. Look down at your scripture. Do you notice how NIV or ESV, it changes, and I'm assuming you're one of those if you're one of the others, maybe transition. Um, <laughs> sorry, I should have said that nicer. It, it goes to a new category. A lamp on a stand is what mine says. And I get it. The reason why it does that is because Jesus is about to shift metaphors. But I want you to notice something. Jesus has not stopped talking. He has not closed quoted. This narrative is not over. And so Jesus gives the parable. He gives the explanation for us to know what it means. But now he's going to give the application. And I just can't stand that our Bibles cut it off like he's done when this is the part that Jesus is going, here's what I want you to do with what you just heard. So let's read it. Let's read it. Verse 16. This is so cool. No one lights a lamp and hides it in a clay jar or puts it under a bed. Instead, they put it on a stand so that those who come in, who come in can see the light. For there is nothing hidden that will not be disclosed and nothing concealed that will not be made known or brought out into the open. 
Here's what Jesus is doing. He's switching metaphors, so it seems like he's changing the subject, but he's not. Jesus is connecting fruit bearing with light shining. He's going, what's the goal of the parable of the sower? To grow on good soil and bear good fruit, to live a life of good deeds, to reach more people, to live for the kingdom of God. He's connecting fruit bearing to light shining. And the reason why he's doing that is because he wants you to know he did not come to make the kingdom of God a secret or cryptic. He came to reveal who God is to a lost, dark, and broken world. Pay attention. Do not miss this. This could be the greatest revelation God's ever given me from the scriptures. And I'm not saying that lightly, even though I exaggerate a lot. Um, pay attention, y'all. Earlier in this parable, it seems like Jesus is being secretive and cryptic, right? He's like, I spoke in a parable so that they wouldn't understand. Their eyes are blind. Their ears can't hear. But you get me backstage so you'll get the explanation. And you're like, Jesus, why are you, why are you, why does it seem like you're hiding some things from others and revealing things to some. But then he gets to the end and he says, no, I didn't come to hide anything. I came to reveal it. But the revelation of who I am is not my confusing parables. It's my devoted followers. As you bear fruit by shining light in the darkness of this world, you are the revealer of my kingdom when you live your life on good soil. How Jesus wants his invitation to go out to a world that is so in need, that is so on our knees, that is so going, I need hope, I need life, I need light somewhere. Jesus is going, my parables, not necessarily the plan. Your application of my parables and your rightful understanding of the word that manifests itself through a life of good deeds is how the world comes to know and believe that I am who I say I am. And that this life is as good as I say it is. You are the proof of God to the world if you know Jesus. And the invitation of Jesus is not a Jewish rabbi yelling on a mountain. It's us in 2022 applying the word of God to our lives, transformed on the inside so that others would know and see that this is actually the real thing. Jesus is going, no, I'm not, I'm not keeping things secret. I'm showing you the plan. I got to explain the kingdom of God so that the seed can go out and grow on good soil. But as the good soil grows, what does it produce? A good fruit. Jesus is exposing the darkness through followers shining the light of good deeds. Now, if you don't believe me, if you're like, I don't know if this is connected to his parable, listen to what he says next, verse 18. Therefore, consider carefully how you listen. Whoever has will be given more. Whoever does not have, even what they think they have, will be taken from them. That's the end of the parable of the sower. Therefore, consider carefully how you listen. What were the four soils? Four different ways of hearing the word of God. The ability to hear is all over this section. And Jesus' application is you need to think about the soil of your soul as your responsibility in how you come before the word of God. The soil of your soul before God's word is your responsibility. This is not just a parable about God's sovereignty going, well, it'll land where it'll land and it'll grow where it'll grow. This is Jesus calling you out and going, the invitation is there. Is your heart in a position to receive what's yours? Think about how you hear. I listened to John Piper preach on this passage and he said it like 15 times. Think about how you hear. Think about how you hear. He's like begging his people, even as you hear me right now, I'm still noise to some of you. 
Because the application is you got to dig deep into your spirit and make sure, am I actually in a position to take in what I'm hearing from the word of God and let it produce fruit in my life? And this is Jesus's message in front of a massive crowd. I cannot get over how backward Jesus's ministry strategy is to so much of what I learned growing up. You got a huge following and what do you say? I give them four examples of who they are as they hear it. And then I tell them, be very careful how you listen. Be very mindful of the state of your soul when you come before the word of God. Because if you're not careful, you'll miss it entirely. How I learned to present the word of God was to almost commercialize Jesus in a way where he's seen as the true better option than what the world has to offer. And some of that's good. We want people to see and understand Jesus is better. Jesus wins. But maybe, and I'm just putting this out there, maybe more people would be on good soil if our presentation of the gospel wasn't so commercialized. But we actually believe that this stuff sells itself. Like, like here's what I mean. We're trying so hard to push people who are disinterested to be interested and we're trying so hard to make Jesus relevant. And we're trying so hard to be mindful of the people who don't understand as much, who don't. And I think our effort to do that is what produced shallow discipleship in the church. I think our effort to dumb this down, I think our effort to make him more attractive in our eyes has made people more shallow. And maybe if we aimed more of our efforts clearly at good soil, we would see more fruit. Maybe if we invited people to just see Jesus as he is and straight up ask the question, do you want this? And we spend so much of our effort in church and so much of our effort in our lives convincing people to want him. You know, this world is broken enough and unjust and terrible and evil enough to make people want God on their own. And sometimes the most fertile ground in this life is pain from the brokenness of this world. And what we have to learn how to do is trust God to cultivate people's hearts and get them in the position where they're willing to receive. But maybe the message is this. Have you made sure that your heart is good soil for the word of God to grow? Notice this parable is not about messing with other people's soil. It's about you. Be careful how you listen. So everybody here is like thinking about their lost nephew or their brother or their son who they wish was in church, they wish would understand and be good soil. But Jesus is not talking to them. He's talking to you. And maybe the way to reach them is to get you off the soil that's stuck in the thorns and into good soil so that you can grow and produce good and legitimate fruit that's actually attractive to that person who's lost. Maybe our, our mindset is backward and what we have to do is be self-examining enough to know, is my heart... And are my ears open to truly hear from the word of God? Do we really want this? And our vision for this whole series is this moment right here. How do we take responsibility for our own souls and make sure we are in a position to actually receive and apply the word of God to our lives? Jesus does not need us to make him look more attractive. Jesus needs us to make sure our light is shining so that we can get out of his way. And that's all I want to do. That's all I know so many of you want to do. But at this church, I want to invite some of you who are so clearly one of the other soils. 
Like if you, if you have to wonder for longer than three seconds whether or not your life's on good soil, you're not. And that's okay. I don't want ACC to be a place where we just bang our Bibles against the heads of people who are so clearly growing among thorns and so clearly on rocky ground. I don't want that. I want this to be your invitation. You're, you're in this message right now. You're hearing the word of God going out. Jesus is going, you have a choice how you receive this. You can walk away, be unchanged, and let the enemy snatch it. You can walk away shallow in your understanding and let persecution and suffering overwhelm you. You can walk away and think Jesus is awesome, but your sinful lifestyle is awesome too, and let that obliterate the call of God that's truly on your life. Or you can hear it and fully surrender in a position that says, Jesus, you can have it all. You can have it all. You're worthy. You can have everything in my life. So that's what we're going to do. I got three points, and they have to do with the three soils that are totally missing it. And I believe God's going to use this. Are you all still with me? I know this is an intense word. We got, we got three points. Number one, I promise this won't take long. I don't think. Refuse to allow the enemy to snatch the word. Soil on the path. What happened? It went down, got snatched up. Refuse to allow the enemy to snatch. You know, I think the vast majority of us assume we're not that one, unless you're here and totally disinterested. The funny part about that is, in our lives, the most applicable, relevant one of the four is that one. Because we're so distracted. And because the word is always speaking and God is always drawing us into more of a revelation of who Jesus is. But more often than not, we don't miss it because we want sin more. We miss it because we're so distracted and overwhelmed. And the enemy is able to snatch the good fruit that God wants to grow in and through your life simply by diverting your attention. Like if, uh, I, I forget who it was who said, if, if the enemy can't make you bad, he'll just make you busy. And he'll just overwork you and overwhelm you enough to go, you don't care about this. Or maybe you do care about this. But if I can get you looking at this more, if I can hold your attention here more, then I've got you. And here's the thing. This is, this is probably the greatest attack on my life of the three. What sobers me up to the gospel breaking through and the, the word of God growing in a real way is always remembering what's at stake. Because it's one thing if you'd give me an illustration like Jesus does of a bird flying in and picking up a seed and flying away. You're like, yeah, I don't really care about that. Okay. Think about the enemy flying into your house and grabbing away one of your kids. And then all of a sudden you're like, oh, whoa, whoa, whoa. I got to wake up. I got I to gotta figure something out. Think about the enemy going in and just taking a saw and cutting your bed in half between you and your spouse and going, this is, this is where I want you. See, you don't see the distraction from the word as the thing that will ultimately cost you the call of God on your life. But I want you to see it's your kids, it's your family, it's your future, it's your career. It's the one reason why you are alive. And quietly and discreetly, we are getting distracted into an oblivion where we don't even see the stakes of what we're losing when we don't pay attention. So the greatest way to refuse to allow the enemy to snatch something is to, like, God, you gotta help wake me up. You gotta remind me what's at stake with whether or not I'm submitted to you. You gotta remind me because in my sin, I'll forget. And so I'll start meditating on, wait a minute, hold on, sin is so deceptive. If I let this thought become this thought and become this practice and become this lifestyle over time, I'm going to lose this. I heard a story recently about a husband and wife in our church, and it's like a classic story where the wife wants the husband engaged so bad in church. 
And she'll bring him here and he'll make it here every once in a while. But she wants this for him way more than he wants this for himself. And, and, and I don't know why this was hitting me this week, but I just was like, does, does he not see the generational impact that he's causing? Multiple kids in caring less about church and what that is saying to the generation that is rising up underneath him. No, he might think, I don't like that Italian guy who yells loud. That's fine. He might think there's too many people in the parking lot or in the seats. He might, there's a million things that it can be. But at the end of the day, what makes you see through all the distractions and all the excuses is what will happen if you don't pay attention. Man, we talk so much in church about the cost of discipleship. You gotta give up everything to follow Jesus. Do you wanna know what you have to give up to not follow Jesus? Everything, and you don't get it back. At least when you follow Jesus, you surrender everything and then you get life and more eternally. So let's, let, let's open our eyes. God, don't, don't let the enemy snatch away from me what he could build in and through my life. Refuse to allow the enemy to snatch the word. Number two, refuse to allow trials to undermine the word. Refuse to allow trials to undermine the word. I've seen it so many times. If you've been following Jesus, you know what I'm talking about. You've seen it. Genuine follower of Jesus has never been through anything terrible. They're in church maybe for decades, and all of a sudden, death hits the family. Sickness hits the family. Divorce hits the family. Something terrible hits the family. And their knee-jerk reaction is, it was you, God. And maybe because of a poor understanding of the sovereignty of God, we turn all of our weapons against God the second he does something that wasn't on our agenda for our lives. Not realizing that we never gave God the agenda and it's revealed in our response. And you've seen people go, I, I just, I was in and then this happened. And I want to be sensitive here. The type of pain that we're talking about and the type of suffering that's present in this room at all of our locations, if it could be broadcast from our stage, like we would wince and get nervous at some of the things that people are going through in this room. I, I realize that. But whenever our knee-jerk response to life taking a turn for the worse is to blame God, what's being exposed internally is the soil that was compromised the entire time. It just didn't show up until the circumstances hit. And I'm just here to tell you, if things have gone well your entire life and you are 60 years old, Every single one of us is going through the dark night of the soul at some point. Every single one of us lives in a sinful body, broken by sin, in a world in chaos and torment, because until Jesus comes back, the kingdom of God and the kingdom of darkness are colliding in real time. I just want to announce to you, you're going through it, whether you want to or not. You decide beforehand the position of your heart and whether or not you will become fertile ground for the word of God to grow. Look up here. Do not miss this. I know pain can be the ultimate opportunity to walk away from God, but you know what else? Pain is also the most fertile soil for God's presence to grow in and through your life. You ask people who don't turn on God when things go bad, but go to God. Now, we don't turn on God and go, God, I can't believe you, and why would you, and I'm just, no, we go to him, and we rest in him, and we go, God, I just want to understand why this happened, and I just want to lean on you. You don't, you don't turn on him, but you put it on him, and what will grow in and through your life? You might still be furious about what happened, 
And you might still be rightfully so heartbroken about whatever it is you're going through. But you know what else? You'll have this strength and this proximity to the Holy Spirit that you don't have any other way. I was thinking about this parable this week, and I was like, every single week that thousands of people hear these sermons, you want to know who hears it the best? Every time. The people who are currently in the most pain. I don't need to spend any time building up my sermon for someone who's in the dark night of the soul. For someone who's in uncertainty, who's struggling, they come in, they got notepad out, they're ready. They're like, I don't need you to build it up. I'm so desperate. If I don't get something from this, I don't know what I'm going to do. There's something to that. Our receptivity needs to be to lean on God, not recoil away from God when suffering happens. And his sovereignty is never intended to be your weapon against him when life doesn't go as you planned. His sovereignty is intended to bring you peace, to make it through that dark night and know that forever the eternal weight of glory is going to far outweigh the sufferings of this broken world. That's what's supposed to happen. Refuse to allow the enemy to snatch the word. Refuse to allow trials to undermine the word. Number three. Refuse to allow worldly pleasure to compete with the word. Refuse to allow worldly pleasure to compete with the word. So I, I told you that most of us are and can be at times in our lives the seed that falls among thorns. And we don't even notice it, but the competition between what my flesh wants and what the Holy Spirit desires puts me in a place where I'm growing but I'm growing among thorns that are starting to choke me out. And over time, it's just an, amount, just an amount of time. Could take months, could take years. But the passions of my flesh, eventually, if I am not careful to crucify them, will overrule how much I want the Holy Spirit to move in my life. That's what Jesus is saying. And I think the problem with that mindset is we think that Jesus has come to replace our strongest desires for sin and so we set up our lives as a competition between what sin offers us and what Jesus offers us. Who invites me into more? Who gives me more? Instead of seeing it as sin offers me a solution to my strongest desires, but Jesus offers me a solution to my deepest desires. And they're not the same. They're not the same. What I want more than my flesh to be satisfied is my soul to be content. And when I let Jesus open my eyes to the deep work he wants to do, I want him more than I want that. The problem is we're living our lives in such a way where the competition is on and it seems like Jesus is losing. I've got a five-year-old daughter. Her name's Aniston. She's in kindergarten. She's two weeks in. And I'm so proud of her, but yet concerned about her. Older parents in the room, you may need to counsel us on this because I bet some of you have been there. This is our first time with a kid who's like in school all day long. And Aniston, she has this thing where if she's in public, she's borderline perfect. She's already really good at being a preacher's kid. Okay, so it's like we go out and it's like she's, she's gonna be as obedient as possible. She's around people she doesn't know and she's like never the way she is at home out there. Trust me, she's not perfect, <laughs> we've seen. And so, but in school, School's longer than preschool or childcare. So she's got seven hours, eight hours. And from what we've heard from her teacher, perfect, flawless. She's the teacher's helper. She never says anything out of turn. She listens. She even, she's like the teacher's little assistant. She's awesome. Probably an Enneagram one. And um, sorry, didn't mean to throw that in there for those of you who are offended by that. If you are, please mature and let it go. Um, and then, so, so she, she comes home and it's like 
a monster has been restrained all day. And, it, and so we started getting concerned because she's bawling her eyes out. She's throwing fits. She's like hurting her little sister. She's like doing things that she never has done before. So we actually looked it up and there's this thing, psychologically speaking, called restraint collapse. And it means that what she's been doing is restraining emotions all day to be the perfect one, to be the one who's making it through the school day. So she's coming home and it's all collapsing because she gets in an environment where she feels safe and she's like, oh, I've been holding all of this back and here's the real me and it's all collapsing. And the problem with living that way, as proud of her as I am, and as much as I love hearing, oh, she was perfect all day. It's not a healthy way of living life as a human being. Because if all you're ever doing is restraining what's ultimately going to come out, you are not growing a fruitful life. You are growing among thorns. And it is when you ultimately decide, you know what? It's not about restraining my flesh enough for Jesus to win. It's about God, open my eyes to desire you more than I desire that. And, and here's what we're all about at ACC. We are not about behavior modification. We're about life transformation. Desire transformation, that is. It's when, God, in the, at the depths of who I am, I want to desire you more than I desire sin. Here's what the psalmist said. One of the most brilliant verses ever written. Delight yourself in the Lord, and he will give you the desires of your heart. If you and I learn to enjoy God at a deeper level than we enjoy sin, what does he give us? The desires of our heart. Hey, this is not a trick verse about getting what you want. This is about God uprooting your old desires and giving you new, deeper ones. Watch, how do you get it? Follow God, obey God, do what he said. Delight yourself in the Lord. The pathway to desire transformation is enjoying God. And if you haven't learned for yourself how to enjoy God and stir up your affection for him, don't be surprised if sin looks more attractive. So here's what we're gonna do. As we take communion together, we're gonna enjoy God. We're gonna sing and we're gonna praise God like he is who he says he is. You can get your elements out right now. If you didn't get one, you can just raise your hand. Someone from our team will come find you at all of our locations. And I know, I just threw out a lot of stuff at you. I want you to take ground in your own relationship with God and make sure your soul is on fertile soil for this word to produce the fruit that it could produce over time. If you don't know Jesus, communion is the ultimate reminder of what he offers you. He gave his body, he gave his blood so that you could have everlasting life in right relationship with your heavenly father. By trusting in him, you receive the spirit of God. So if, you're, if you haven't done that, if you're not a believer in Jesus, you just wanna leave that communion set under your seat. No big deal, we'll come get it after. But for those of you who do know Jesus, this is our weekly reminder that he did it all. Let's rest in him. Let's enjoy him. But we got business to do with God after this word. Let's let the word do the work and then we'll sing in just a few minutes.